So the study of modern psychology tells us that each of us, every man, woman, and child in this room, we have in our heads little scripts that we pick up over time uh, that tell us how certain situations that we encounter, uh, how they're supposed to go, what the flow of events is supposed to be. Uh, Now, some of these scripts are ones that that are unique to us and our families, Uh, but a lot of them, most of them, in fact, are scripts that we share in common uh, with all those with whom we share a common culture. So, for instance, right now, in your head, all of you in this room, if you've ever been to a restaurant, and I'm assuming you look like a cultured lot, I assume you've been to a restaurant before, uh, you have in your head a little script about the way that's supposed to to go, right? You, you walk into a restaurant, you're greeted, you're taken to your table, you're given a menu, uh, you pick out what you want, your server sometime later brings that food to you, tells you to enjoy, you say thank you, you eat, you pay, you leave, right? That's the script for how to go to a restaurant. Any reputable restaurant here in the United States runs by that script, It's just the way it works. And we have lots of those little scripts banging around in our heads. We have similar scripts for riding the subway, going to Starbucks, going to the bank, uh, those sorts of things that we do all the time. And psychologists tell us that what these little scripts do for us is that they reduce our anxiety and let us use less mental energy because the scripts tell us exactly what's expected of us in a particular situation Uh, and also what's expected of other people. However, however, what happens when those scripts run off the rails, they don't go according to plan, uh, the exact opposite happens to us. And our anxiety is increased, and we're made to feel uncomfortable. So returning back to that example of eating at a restaurant, I wonder if this has ever happened to anyone in this room before. You go into that same restaurant. You are greeted. You are taken to your table. You sit down. You are given a menu. You decide what you want, and you tell your server what you want. And in this particular example, I want you to imagine that your server is an exceedingly attractive individual. Whatever that may be for you, We're imagining that the server is, you don't want to tell your partner, you don't want to tell me, whatever that looks like to you, your server is extremely attractive. So I tell J-Lo what I want to eat, and eventually she brings my food back to the table, and she tells me to enjoy. And I say to my server, my very attractive server, what do I say to her? I say, you too. And as she walks away, I realize the stupidity of what I just said. I just told a server who gave me food to enjoy. Now, psychologists will say that some of our embarrassment and the shame that we feel as the server is walking away in that moment, it comes from the fact that we said something that does not make sense in context, right? They gave us food, but we were telling them to enjoy. It doesn't make sense. But the psychologists also tell us that these feelings of anxiety and embarrassment are compounded by the fact that we have broke the script. They're supposed to tell us to enjoy. We're supposed to say thank you. We're supposed to eat and pay and leave. That's how the script is supposed to go. And when we break the script, 
we're filled, we're filled with these feelings of anxiety and discomfort. Is that a trivial example? Absolutely, that is a, a trivial example. However, is this a, a good framework to help us understand the dynamics at work in this morning's reading? I certainly hope so, because the whole sermon ha- hangs on that framework. Uh, so in today's reading, we arrive at, at chapter 8 of the Gospel of Mark. This is the halfway point of the story. If you're a student of higher level arithmetic, you will realize that that means that there are 16 chapters in the book of Mark. And we're going to arrive in chapter 16 around about Easter. So we're still going to be working through Mark for a couple more months. But here at, at this halfway point, eight long chapters into the story, at last, at long last, the disciples are finally starting to get it. Things are starting to coalesce in their minds. They're finally beginning to understand who Jesus is at long last. So in this morning's story, the disciples are following behind Jesus as he is leading them to the city of Caesarea Philippi. Uh, This is a city located about 30 miles due east of where we left them last week in the city of Tyre. Uh, You may recall that last week they walked 40 miles north to the city of Tyre, and now they walk 30 miles east uh, over to the city of Caesarea Philippi. And if you've ever seen artwork of Jesus and wondered how he had such defined abs, it probably has something to do with him getting all his steps in every week. They're just walking mile upon mile upon mile every day. So as they're walking along, Jesus turns to the disciples and he says to them, you know, who, who do people say that I am? Constantly walking around, people are dogging me, wanting to be healed, wanting to see a miracle. Who do all these people think I am? The disciples reply. They say, well, you know, some people think you're John the Baptist. Other people think you're Elijah. Uh, Other people think that you're just one of the prophets, you know, like a a Jeremiah or an Amos or an Isaiah. Hmm. Hmm. That's interesting, uh, says Jesus. But who who do you say that I am? You, my disciples, you who I have plucked out of obscurity, uh, you who have, I've been spending days with, walking hundreds of miles with, who do you say that I am? Now, of all people, of all people, it is Peter who speaks up. And I say of all people, uh, because Peter is oftentimes lampooned as being a couple chocolates short of an advent calendar. Uh, but it is this Peter, of all people, who speaks up and he says, Lord, you are the Messiah. Peter recognizes that Jesus is the Messiah. And it cannot be stressed enough how absolutely huge of a leap forward this is in terms of the disciples' understanding of who Jesus is. Uh, because while you and I were told in the very first sentence of the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 1, verse 1, we're told that we're about to read a story about a guy named Jesus, who is the Messiah and the Son of God. Uh, in the actual flow of the narrative, in the story itself, uh, Jesus has never uttered that word. This is the first time the word appears in the Gospel of Mark. You may remember that a couple weeks ago, Jesus referred to himself as a plunderer, 
but never has he ever referred to himself, described himself as the Messiah. Uh, this apparently is a conclusion that, that Peter has arrived at all by himself. At long last, at long last, the disciples finally understand who Jesus is almost. Almost. They're so close, uh, but they're not quite there yet. So Jesus makes this this bold declaration that that Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, And Jesus immediately tells them them to hush up and not say a word about this Messiah business to anyone. Uh, Then he then proceeds to to instruct them, uh, tell them about all the, the suffering that will be entailed in his being the Messiah. Very straightforwardly, he does not mince his words. Uh, He tells them, I'm going to be rejected by the religious establishment. I'm going to be killed. And then three days later, I'm going to be raised. Straightforward, puts it just like that. So Peter hears these words. He he lets it work on his heart for a second. Uh, But then his reaction, his reaction is a strange one. Isn't it? The text says that he pulls Jesus aside and he scolds him. That's what the text says. He says he scolds the Messiah. He reads in the riot act. He tells him to stop talking nonsense. Enough of your guff, Jesus, is what Peter says. So why, why does Peter have that reaction? It's kind of a, a strange reaction to have. And the, reader, the reason, rather, that, that Peter has this reaction uh, because, is because at the time there was a, a very powerful, common, cultural script uh, about the way that this Messiah thing was supposed to play out. This Messiah was supposed to appear in power and might and was supposed to establish himself as a ruler, as a king. And not just as a a spiritual king, not as a ruler of hearts and minds, but but as a legit king, a person with with political power, with with military might. This king was supposed to come in in a show of force and, and kick out the Roman occupiers from Israel and restore the Jewish people their fortunes. This Messiah was supposed to, to, to bring people real material good in the present day. So here Jesus is, at last claiming this title of Messiah. And then in the next breath, he was telling his disciples that he was going to be killed like a common criminal. Right? So this didn't make sense according to their scripts. It, they couldn't compute what he meant by this. It just didn't make sense. The script was running off the rails. So, of course, right? Of course, Peter was uncomfortable. Of course, he was anxious. Of course, he didn't know how to react in this moment. This was not how the Messiah script was supposed to go. But really, should Peter have been surprised by this? Like, should this have been genuinely surprising to Peter? Because if we think about it, you know, all the signs that Peter was picking up on uh, that kind of clued him into the fact that Jesus was the Messiah, almost every single one of those signs involved Jesus upending a common cultural script. 
Right? The, the very fact that Peter was following behind Jesus as a disciple in the first place happened because Jesus upended the, the common cultural script about the kinds of people who were welcomed in to be, enter the rabbinical training process. Hence, most of the young men in this process were not uneducated, illiterate peasant fishermen. Peter didn't fit the mold, but Jesus upended that cultural script and invited Peter to be his disciple nonetheless. And then after Peter became a disciple, he witnessed Jesus break the Sabbath laws, eat with sinners, talk with women, right? Touch unclean individuals, travel to the lands of pig-herding Gentiles. There was seemingly not a cultural script Jesus came into contact with uh, that he wasn't happy to just shatter, just completely turn on its head. So yes, Jesus was the Messiah, and of course, he was not the Messiah that Peter's script was calling for. Yes, Jesus was a king coming to establish a kingdom, but he wasn't going to establish that kingdom through brute force, through abject violence. He was coming to establish a kingdom through the immensity of his love, through the immensity of this self-giving, self-sacrificial love. And the invitation for us all that we read at the end of this story is an invitation to, to jettison, to let go, to upend all the little scripts we carry around in our heads uh, that tell us who we are and what we should do. And in the place of, of those scripts, we're being invited to let the script of that love, right, that, that self-giving, self-sacrificial, good and gracious love of Jesus Christ be our guide in this world. And in so doing, we're promised. In so doing, we will find our very lives. Friends, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen.